0: This morning we return to the uh, book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, we're looking at verses 7 through 10, and we'll continue on uh, with the, um, that, that working out of our understanding of God's riches towards riches toward us in our redemption. So the title of this morning's message is The, Rich, the Riches of His Redemption, Part 2. So we're going to continue on that uh, line of thought there as we, find, uh, as we find it coming to us beginning in verse 7. And we'll try to work down through um, partway through verse 10, at least, Lord willing. So if you will, look with me there in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll read through again um, from verse 3. Let's read down all the way through verse 14 to pick up that one running unpunctuated in the original language sentence there. And, of course, um, uh, Punctuation has been added later for us, and and, uh, um, and over the years, have, uh, that's been uh, a good effort has been made there, so we can make sense of it. Uh, let's look at that whole context together, and then we'll hone in on verses seven through ten. Beginning in verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons to Jesus Christ, to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. uh, after the counsel of his will the end that we who were the first to hope in christ would be to the praise of his glory in him you also after listening the message of the truth the gospel of your salvation having also believed you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise who is given as a pledge for our inheritance with a view to the redemption of god's own possession to the praise of his glory. Well, as we think about the riches of redemption. Here, Paul has reminded us of, of who we are in Christ. Really where Christ has brought us in space and time. This reality determined before the world began, in the, began in the mind of God. In space and time, we are saved from the guilt of sin, correct? We are dead in our trespasses and sin. We are born in in sin, dead in sin. It's shaped in our iniquity, and we are guilty. In Adam, we are guilty before God. He saved us from that guilt of sin. He certainly saved us from the power of sin that resides over our lives. And someday... He'll save us from the very presence of sin. We will be with him in glory forever, free from the very presence of sin. And we long for that day. But our reality is this. We were guilty. We were guilty as charged. We were, as the scripture reminds us, slaves to sin. We're guilty before a holy God, but God has redeemed us or bought us out, if you will, of the slave market of sin and bought us back at a price. So he's redeemed us, and he's redeemed us in Christ. And in that redemption, he has lavished upon us infinite riches of his glory. So all the riches of the glory of God that are infinite are imputed to our account in Christ. So we have accessibility to God through Christ, the Father's beloved and our redeemer. And so... Working all the way up uh, from verses 3 to to here, verse 7, we found that glorious truth. This is our identity. This is who we are, and these are the spiritual riches that belong to us. They are infinite, and they abound forever. All that the Father gives to the Son also belongs to us. All the spiritual wealth that the Father gives to the Son belongs to us. Why? Because we are in Christ. And so, here also, note that in Christ, God grants us wisdom. We'll look at that this morning. God grants us wisdom. Sophia—that's a, a feminine name for um, what, what comes to us from the Greek—is is wisdom. So, ladies, that's a nice little, it's a nice little—it's a nice name. If you're, thinking, if you're having a little baby girl, nice name, <laughs> Sophia, wisdom. Colossians one nine. Listen to the language here. For this reason, also, and this is Paul speaking to the church there at Colossi, and, and listen to the language here. Thinking about wisdom. For this reason also, since the day that we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray uh, for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So there's a prayer. Paul, there is often a prayer for the church there at Colossae. Based on this truth, God grants us wisdom. Because that is true, Paul is free to to pray that that will abound. Among that church, there's a wonderful prayer request that we have for ourselves. So, that's what you want, to, you want to know a way to pray and approach to prayer, right? There it is. We're praying that this will be true, that what, is, that what is sealed and set and true for us in Christ be true as we live that out daily. That we would be wise, wise in the knowledge of His will and all the spiritual wisdom and understanding that flows from that reality. That's a wonderful prayer request for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for ourselves as well. So God gives us wisdom concerning what? Concerning his plan and his purpose or, or, or and his purposes or how his plan will unfold in the space and time that he has created. Now, these things is in terms of us knowing God's plan, and us understanding God's purposes, which that's, 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 we're going to get to that as we get to the kind of the heart of our text this morning. But that's true of us. That's what God has revealed to us. That's the knowledge that God has given to us. Now, that is a revealed knowledge. And Paul will go back and speak to that in, in, other, uh, in other books that he has written. He will speak to that reality as an apostle of Christ. This is a revealed knowledge that I have. So he's saying the knowledge that, that I'm writing to you, the truth that I'm writing to you, that is a revealed truth. It's not my intuition. It's not something I learned in school. It's not something I acquired at some library or in, my, or in my spare reading, in my spare time. It's not something I learned in rabbinical school. It's been revealed to me from God. Supernatural, Spirit of God bearing the Scripture writers along to give us truth. And so he alluded to that. Another rising and blues to it later on in Ephesians as well. But so that's the knowledge of God that we have, that we understand from God's word is a revealed knowledge. Okay? So when we understand God's plan and God's purpose, we understand that from the spirit of God indwells us, helping us to understand what's been given to us in scripture is revealed to us. So what I'm saying to you is, these are things that are not seen by unbelievers. These are things that are seen by believers with spiritual eyes to see. An understanding of scripture that is given to us by the power of the indwelling spirit. Unbelievers do not see the plan of God and the purpose of God. This belongs to believers. That's glorious and that's sobering. And that's true of us. We understand the Bible by Revelation: The Spirit of God reveals the Scriptures to us rightly, as we humbly together pursue the truth in God's Word. So, here's an example of, uh, of this, of how this works, and say in, in daily living, in space and time. The question comes up out in the public square: Well, why are we here, and how did we get here? Well, I mean, there was, you know, the big bang in billions of years, and, and we're to this point. But actually, we know the answer. We know why we're here. We know how we got here. It was planned by God, the creator of heaven and earth. God created the universe, and God planned for us to be here in the universe that he created as his special creation. To glorify him according to his name, according to his nature. We're here because God planned for us to be here. God planned for us to be here before he even created the universe. He planned for us to be here. And not only that, he plans for us to be here and he purchased us in Christ for his glory. You know exactly why you're here. You know something that the vast majority of the population of this planet does not know. You know exactly why you're here. You know how you got here and you know why you're here. That's a revealed truth from God. Here's another example. You know, how's all this going to shake out? What's going to happen? How does this, uh, you know, where does this stop? Where do we get off? How How does this come to an end? Does it come to an end? That's a question out there, right? Is this you know? Is it, what about climate change? What's going on there? What do we do? How do we fix this? Is this just are we just going to eventually you know just kind of fizzle away? Is this place just going to burn up? Are we all just you know is just is going to be going to be mass death? Is, are, are the are the oceans going to erode away? Is it going to be food? How's it all coming to an end? Does it? What happens? Well, you know exactly what happens, don't you? you know how this whole thing ends. You know that time ends when Christ returns in his power and glory and initiates eternity. You know that. That's a revealed truth. So that's how the knowledge and understanding of God works in the life of Christians. You have revealed knowledge that does not belong. To unbelievers. Be humbled by that and walk circumspectly to the glory of God. So we know how this whole thing ends. God's wisdom has been given to us. That's how we know. So we pray. That this reality, this wisdom, this understanding, this knowledge would be realized in each of us rightly as we live out the Christian life day to day in the context that God has given us. Uh, verse 18 of Ephesians here of this chapter, Paul will say this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Do you see that? Because this is true, then we pray rightly that we will carry it as we should and live it out rightly to God's glory and obedience to our calling. This is a good understanding to have a, a proper way of even praying for one another. Here's the reality. We are the redeemed in Christ. This is true. This is the knowledge we have, but our redemption comes at a cost, right? Isn't that what Paul's been telling us here? Our redemption comes at a cost. A price had to be paid for our sin debt. And what is that cost? That cost is the blood of Jesus Christ. So that brings us to the first point, the cost of our redemption. Look at it there in verse seven. So in him, we have our redemption. How? Through his blood. So we'll just hold right there, through his blood. That's the cost of redemption, We were bought out of the slave market of sin by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. His blood was the price paid for our redemption. Now, when we say his blood, that's really speaking of his death, right? The sin debt required, our sin required a debt. A debt had to be paid, and that debt was death. Sin brings about death. Because we were born in Adam, we will die a physical death. And outside of the intervention of God, that physical death will also uh, culminate in a spiritual death. We are dead in our sin. Our sin is an affront before a holy God. And there's nothing that we can do to fix it. We can't change that reality in and of ourselves. There must be an atonement made for our sin debt. And that's where Christ has entered in. Christ has paid that penalty. At the cross, Christ paid that sin debt. On our behalf. Romans 6.23 says this. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God. Is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we were bought out. uh, From the slave market of sin. Our sin debt was paid for. By Christ. We were bought out. By his atoning blood. It speaks to his death. His sacrificial substitutionary. Death in our place. So, his life poured out on our behalf. His life, making atonement for our sin, that our guilt before God is atoned for, is paid for. God's righteous wrath that is upon us is appeased by the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. There's the exchange at the cross the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So, what was the cost there? The cost was the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the death, blood sacrifice made on behalf of sinners by the sinless Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ bearing our sin debt before a holy God and imputing his righteousness, lived out perfectly under the law of God, that he might be, that God might be just and the justifier of those who are in Christ. But the cost was the death of Christ, the blood atonement of Christ. So his atoning blood paid our sin debt and accomplished our redemption, our buying us back from our slavery to sin and our death that we deserved. He bought us back. One act, one offering justified. Sinners before a holy God that was the redemption of Christ, the sin debt that he paid for us on our behalf at the cross, so he pays the price for our sin so that we may be set free here 's the language of 1 peter 1.18. here 's the cost of redemption, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile uh, way of life inherited from your forefathers so there 's nothing. That has that, that's perishable, like silver. Nothing can pay the sin debt except the atonement of Christ, the unique God. Name. Our sin is an offense to a holy God who's infinitely holy, infinitely uh, worthy, and his wrath against our sin is infinite, he's is eternal. There's nothing that, uh, that is perishable. That can pay that price. It's an eternal offense. So it takes an eternal God to pay the price for sin. An offense against an eternal God. So therefore, the unique God-man, Jesus Christ, takes upon flesh. Lives perfectly under God's law. And there it goes to the cross and dies a vicarious substitutionary death on our behalf. That's why Peter can say this: You haven't your sin debt hasn't been paid by things that are perishable, because that will not appease the wrath of an infinitely holy God. It takes an infinite being to pay the sin debt for an infinite being. To an infinite being, that is God, the unique God. Man has come and made that reality. He's that is the cost of redemption. Revelation 5, 9, worthy are you to take the book and to break the seal, speaking of Christ. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. So the blood of the of Christ has, bought, has brought us into union with him. It's redeemed us out of, this, of the sin market of slavery. It has appeased the wrath of an infinitely holy God and has brought us into union with him in space and time, that would carry on into eternity. So we are, in that sense, as as we hear the, the, the language of Scripture, we are in Christ. We are in him through his atoning sacrifice on our behalf. We are in union with him. Now, God the Father is fully pleased with God the Son and what has taken place in that transaction in Christ paying a sin debt for his people, in Christ making atonement, the substitutionary sacrifice for his people. And they're buying, them out of our, buying us out of our, our sin debt to slavery and justifying us before an infinitely holy God. The Father is pleased with that transaction, if you will. And if the Father is pleased with Christ, then he is pleased with us and you say no no brother you don't know what I did and said this morning before I got here and that's true I don't know and I don't need it I care but I don't need to know. you don't know what I did and said before I got here God knows what all of us did and said before we got here but if we're here in Christ This is no justification of sinful behavior. But understand this. You don't hold on to it. You don't wallow in it. You don't grovel in it. You are in Christ. And in Christ, you are pleasing to the Father. And you have to understand that's your identity. And in that identity, we hate our sin. The Spirit of God convicts us to loathe our sin because that's who we are. And because we're in Christ and he has done this glorious work on our behalf, I, I know nothing in of us deserving it, but all according to his grace, we hate our sin. And we long to walk in righteousness. We long to be obedient. And we struggle with sin in this fallen world, but it does not define us. We repent of it. And we long to walk in righteousness. We don't allow that to identify us and, and, and weight us down. God doesn't hold it against you anymore. It's a struggle. We all struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. We struggle. We're going to struggle with sin until God carries us home where we're free from the presence of sin, right? We're free from its penalty. We're free from its power. It doesn't own us. It's a battle. It's a dog fight to the very end. The Christian life is not some pie in the sky, little glorious boat sail all the way home. No, it's a fight in a fallen world with a real adversary. It's a fight. But sin does not hold power over us because our God is atoned for us. And the power of sin has been uh, removed from us. The struggle's there, but the power is not. And someday the presence from sin will be removed, removed from us. We'll be in glory with God, free from the presence of sin. But until that day, our struggle with sin does not define us. Christ defines us. And in Christ, God is pleased with you. Was he, is he pleased with my, my, my struggle with sin? Brother? No. You're missing the point. God convicts you of that and he strengthens you to go forth, repent of and, and walk in righteousness. All the while being pleased with you because you are in Christ. And you are in Christ according to his marvelous grace and nothing else. Nothing to do with you. Everything to do with God and his own good pleasure. He has. Why? Why would he do this? Why would, he, why would he save you? Why did he mark you off an election before the world began? Why? Because he loved you. That's why. Why did he love me, brother? Okay, you ready? I don't know. He loved you because he loved you. That's grace. And because you are in Christ... God is pleased with you. So let me just get that out up front. And the cost of redemption. The cost that's part of the cost of redemption, He is pleased with you. You are in Christ. And all the good that God gives to the Son also belongs to you. All the goodness, the infinite goodness and spiritual riches that belongs to the Son, belongs to you. So Christ's redemption. It frees us from the guilt and the condemnation of sin. It grants us access to an infinite bounty of spiritual riches that never run dry. And someday, the freedom from the very presence of sin. And that brings us to the results of redemption. There's the cost of redemption, but now I want you to see the results of redemption of, of redemption i'm going to mark off a few here for you and i'll just list them as i go first i want you to see forgiveness so this is going to be kind of a sub point i don't have that bullet i don't have it in a bullet uh point up on the board but we're going to see the result of redemption uh, of redemption the results of redemption and there's a few that are kind of sub points just want. i just mark out for you as i go okay the first is forgiveness forgiveness is a result of redemption we'll see that in verse seven again look there in him, we have redemption through his blood. What? The forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness of our sin debt before a holy God. So we have, as a result of redemption, forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. And just as as um, we were looking through um, Passover and God uh, there, and uh, the, the son of God there with uh, his disciples, that moment at Passover, When Jesse was taking us through that this morning in our morning, that moment where he takes the Passover and then inaugurates the supper. Now you do this in remembrance of me. And there's the language Matthew 26, uh, chapter 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is here you go, poured out for many for forgiveness of sin. That's why we partake in the supper. It reminds us of who we are in Christ and what He has done for us. He has forgiven us. His blood atonement has forgiven us our sin debt. His blood was poured out for our forgiveness. And on that high and holy day, Yom Kippur, there, as we look back at the the imagery of the Old Testament, that high and holy day, we had that picture. Oh, they were taking, there were two goats, right? Two goats. That, would, that they would use in this ceremony, in this high and holy day, it reminded them of this atonement. For them, it was an appeasement of God's wrath. For a moment, that would be wiped away, but it was a picturing of Christ where the appeasement of God's wrath would be eternal and forever. So, in that picture, there were two, right? Two goats. One was slain to commemorate and picture that death must take place. The sin debt requires death. Request a blood atonement. And then there was the scapegoat, right? The scapegoat was sent away outside of the camp into utter darkness, never to return, never to be found again. And the picture of that is simply that the sin would be removed. It was a picture of the removal of sin. In this atonement, there is full forgiveness. It's not partial Again, they were looking forward. Their ceremony was partial, but they were looking forward. And the reality of the picture is that God will remove your sin, that it's expiated out of existence. It has no longer, it has no claim on you. That's why now, as you sit and you struggle and you battle in this fallen world, God is pleased with you because you battle as one who is in Christ. That is grace. You are in Christ, and in Christ He's made atonement for you. And part of the riches of that redemption of buying you out of the slave market of sin is that you have been forgiven. All your sin that is paid in full, you are forgiven in Christ. That's the result of your redemption. It's removal of sin. Now, this great, glorious truth. Was derived in the mind of God before creation began. That's what Ephesians 1 tells us. That's the picture of your election. Your forgiveness tans- transpires in space and time that God created, full and final, once and all, once and for all, at the cross, paid in full, real space and time by a real Savior. The second person that tried you in God had was taken on flesh, that he might identify with you and then pay for your sin debts infinitely before a holy God. That's true. And that glorious truth, which is unthinkable, how can we even begin to wrap our minds around it? And then just when we begin to even think about the weight of trying to wrap our minds around such so great, God takes us back and says, oh, by the way, I had this set in my mind before I ever created the world. How could he single you out? We do that because he loved you. Why? Isn't that the question that comes? Why would he love me? Why me? Don't you ask that? I know you ask that. Everybody that's saved asks that. Why me? And the scripture comes to us this way, uh, and, and maybe a multiplicity of ways that I don't fully understand, but I can at least know this to, to, to tell you this morning. For sure, it's never any further back than this. It's never any less than this because he loved you. Why did he love you? Because he loved you. And that helps us to worship him and understand grace. That's grace. That's his glorious grace. Isaiah forty four twenty two. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west. How far is that? How far is that? Come on, mathematicians. How far is that? How far is the east from the west? Infinity, right? There were twenty-seven of the two meat from the east to the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. First John 2.12. Your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and uncircumcised in your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And then we think, "Well, I can't even wrap my mind around that." Then we get this wonderful little little language of First 1 John 1:19. 1 if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we know our sin that is paid in full at the cross. And why this language? Well, just as we walk, as we struggle. In this world, as we struggle with sin, that reality of our walk and that battle in this fallen world until we're free from the presence of sin, we're assured here with this language of the indwelling Holy Spirit sort of cleans us up spiritually, dust us off a little bit. And that's the picture there with Peter when he's asking, you know, wash me again, Lord and Lord saint, there's no need to wash you again. You are clean in me, but you know, you need your feet wiped off a little bit because you're trotting this fallen world as as a light, as as, a, as, a, as a, and a as one who I have atoned for, as my child, as one who has been redeemed, bought out of the slave market of sin. And you have to be, you know, you have to be wiped up a little bit. And it's kind of like, like a man Sammy, you know, my, my little four-year-old, after every meal, you, you got to get the wet wipe out, you've got to sponge him a little, and he's missing <laughs> He's, he's, he's a dirt, I call him a dirt dog. My wife said that's, that's degrading to him, but said, he's a dirt dog. You know? He's messy. Our, our battle here is messy at times. Our carrying the gospel light gets messy. Our fight to walk in righteousness, still in the presence of sin, gets messy. And God assures us that he will clean us up and make us fit for that walk and encourage us along the way. And restore us again and again and again as we're walking to become who we are in Christ. That's the promise. That's a picture. A result of our redemption in forgiveness. So it's grace here in verse 7. I want you to see that. So we've been forgiven of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You see that there? At the end of verse 7. Now his grace is infinitely rich, right? It's infinite. It has no end. God is an eternal being full of infinite grace. And his forgiveness is as rich as his grace. You see that? His forgiveness is infinite. His forgiveness towards us is according to his grace. and His grace is infinite. So therefore... His forgiveness towards you is infinite. And he has lavished that upon us. And Now I want you to see kind of the second bullet point there of the results of redemption. There is forgiveness and there is wisdom and insight. You see that there in verse 8, wisdom and insight. His lavishes grace upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, the mystery of his will is part of his wisdom and insight, okay? So he has lavished his forgiveness upon us. He has lavished his his graciousness upon us. And part of that is this granting of wisdom and insight. We talked about wisdom, right? A little bit, Sophia. So there's wisdom for us. He's made this known to us. The mystery of his will. Now, Wisdom and insight or prudence, if you will. These flow from God to us in super abundance. So he's given you all wisdom and all insight that you will ever need for any circumstance of your life until he calls you home. Full abundance of wisdom and insight. So let's break it down a little bit. What do we mean by wisdom? Wisdom is simply this. God gives us his plan and that involves wisdom and insight. Wisdom is God's uh, uh, um, instructing us on eternal things, okay? God, his nature, his being, his purpose, his work, his majesty. Man, his special creation. Fallen, yet redeemable. Sin, our rebellion against God. The price of sin, death, the hope of salvation as a result of sin, forgiveness in Christ, the eternal things. That's wisdom. We have wisdom concerning these things. Now, that's a boatload of thanksgiving that goes up right there. That's revelation. You understand these things, eternal things. You, not, not, it's not your intellect. It's not your life experience. It's not your cunning. It's not your capacity to learn. It's revelation from God. It's the Holy Spirit of God taking the Bible of God and giving you knowledge concerning eternal things. That's grace. You have wisdom because of grace. But also there's insight, there's prudence, if you will. Now, this is God's speaking to us about his plan in relation to earthly things. Daily living, day-to-day experience of how we're to live to the glory of God by divine insight. So we know the big picture, the eternal things, and then we have insight and prudence about how to live Our lives here on earth, in this fallen world, day to day, in our circumstance, in our environment, in our jobs, in our family relationships, in our friendships, uh, in our work environment, in our neighborhood, in situational aspects of, of all of life, in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God. So we know how to handle day to day living by God's prudence given to us By revelation. Now, how does He give us revelation concerning eternal things, big picture? Who God is, who we are, why we're here, what is sin, what is death, what is redemption, and then how to take that and apply it to daily circumstances of our lives that might branch out in in a multiplicity of ways, and apply it to apply it rightly in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God. How do we get that revelation? That's revelatory understanding. It's revelatory wisdom and revelatory prudence. How do we get that? Yes. That comes to us through scripture. We have to have the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. The spirit of God has has to uh, take the word of God and minister these truths into our lives that we do live them out in our given circumstances to the glory of God. That's how it works. The spirit of God informs us and gives us knowledge and understanding of Word of God. So the Word of God is our final authority. And the Spirit of God that dwells all believers is uh, the one who takes that final authority, the Word of God, and ministers the Word of God to us in a way that we apply the knowledge of God in eternal things and the prudence of God, uh, of God's knowledge in daily living. Okay, that's how it works. And that's what's being said here in terms of the richness of God's gifts to us. The richness of the result of redemption and our forgiveness is also that we have wisdom and we have prudence. These have been given to us. So we have discernment. And this discernment is a divine insight. And the divine insight is the spirit of God taking the word of God and ministering truth to us that's applicable to various situations of life. That's divine insight. It's discernment for day-to-day living, how to walk wisely and live faithfully in this fallen world. That's what wisdom and insight gives us. It's a grace gift to us. It's riches extended to us by God. Now, this applies to every situation you'll ever be in in your life as a Christian, Everyone. There's no situation in this life that you're going to be perplexed. Now, the prayer is that we're walking in this, that we're laying hold of this, that we're being diligent in our worship, that, that, that we're, that we're um, um, exercising these riches that belong to us. Now, now, there's some responsibility there for us, but they're no less true. They're no less there. They're no less accessible for you in every situation in all of life. And they're true for you because God accepts you in Christ. And there I want you to understand there's zero second-class citizens in that relationship. Zero. None. God is pleased with you in Christ. Thus, God is pleased with you equally across the board. There's no second-class citizens in Christ. So here's what I mean by that. God will give you as much as you need. Of all that he possesses, because all that he possesses belongs to Christ and you are in Christ. That's it belongs to you. Do you see that? You see the connection? There's no circumstance. There's no situation, there's no issues, there's no struggle. There's no category that you might want to put yourself in to kind of of set yourself off and and define yourself as some, you know, I'm in this lower category here. There's no way of, you can't create a class system for yourself in God's kingdom. It doesn't work that way. All that you need in your situation is accessible to you in Christ. All the riches of glory, all the wisdom and prudence that belongs to Christ belongs to you. There's no second class citizens here. And he has promised to grant you as much as you absolutely need for every situation of your Christian walk, And that brings us to verse nine there. So he's made known to us this mystery of his will. He's lavished all all wisdom inside onto us. And and, and in doing that, he's made known to us this mystery of his will according to, to his kind intentions, which he purposed in him. So there's a mystery of God's will that is purposed in Christ. And His purpose in Christ, verse 10, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of time. So that's what I want you to hold on to there, the fullness of times—that That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Now, we have wisdom and insight. All that we need, superabounding to us in every situation of life. So then Paul here continues with that trend of thought. So a result of redemption, forgiveness. Another result of of redemption is wisdom and insight. And under wisdom and insight, it rolls out like this, and he's going to point to something very specific. There's a mystery here in all this. You have everything you need, but there's a mystery here. And that mystery is really a mystery concerning God's will. It's according to his kind intentions, which he purposed in Christ. So in Christ, he has kind intentions towards you for his glory. And this is with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of time. So he's going to talk to us here about, hey, since you have all access to all you need in this world, You need to know it's coming to an end. There's a fullness of the time. So everything that God's created and everything that you need to know as as his uh, people in this space and time that he has created. You need to know this. It's coming to an end. There's going to be a summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. So that brings us back to redemption, doesn't it? Redemption is for God's glory. So all the mystery of the Old Testament, you know how that works? All the mystery of the Old Testament is revealed how? In Christ. We're just talking about the the sacrifice there, right? We're just talking about uh, the Exodus and how that symbolically pointed to the Passover, the, the, the implementing of Passover, Passover pointing to Christ. And then Christ taking Passover in his earthly body in space and time, taking Passover right before his disciples and turning that into the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, pointing again most vividly to the revelation of him. So here we have the Old Testament. What is shaded there? What is what is pictured there? What is dim there is revealed fully in Christ. And again, man cannot discover these truths without the aid of the Spirit. The Spirit of God aids us to understand this. We look back this morning. We looked at the Passover. And the pictures are vivid. And we see the fulfillment of Passover in Christ. And Jesse walked us through that very clearly. But we can't see that and understand it and understand it in the big picture and understand it in the the culminating of time without the aid of the Holy Spirit. that's how it works. And in this, there's a mystery that was concealed in the Old Testament and now revealed in Christ. Christ has come, right? And now here we have this language about the summing up of all things. There's a mystery here. And this mystery has to do with the ministration suitable to the fullness of time. So when was the fullness of time began? When did we begin to mark off the fullness of time? You know, hear that language anywhere? Yes, there it is, isn't it? When Christ came. That marks of what we call, you might hear the language of, and I don't think that it's, that it's incorrect language or poor language, maybe something better, but uh, uh, the end times you hear that you know a lot of people can take that and, and maybe use that in, in some ways that might not be helpful in what we're what we're seeing in scripture and how we're thinking and our wisdom uh, that's uh, revealed to us by the power of the spirit through the truth of God's word but Christ begins that when Christ comes that if you will for for lack a better way to state it that's the marking off the of begin beginning of the end times so in other words he's arrived that means The crucifixion is coming, the resurrection is coming, the ascension is coming, and then the return is coming, right? And at his return, his coming starts, kind of marking off the end of time, and as return, when he returns, time as we know it comes to an end. See that? At his return, we find that language there, the summing up of all things, suitable to the fullness of the time. That's the fullness of the times. The times are filled up. There's Christ's return. And then the onset of eternity. So that's the mystery of God's will. You know that. That's been revealed to you. You know why you're here. You know how you got here. You know that God has redeemed you in Christ. And you know that a consummation of all his creation is coming to an end in Christ. It's all coming to an end. That's the mystery of His will. Now, this mystery again, concealed in the Old Testament, revealed in Christ, consummated in His return. Ephesians three, verse three through six. Listen to the language here. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. Now this is again, Paul man. He this this truth that He's writing to us has been given to him by the the Holy Spirit. It's been revealed to him. As I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, that when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations were not made known to the sons of men, as it uh, has now been revealed to to the holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, and here it is, here's what Paul is pointing to here, specifically, in relation to this language here, in verses nine and ten, the uh, the the um, administration suitable to the fullness of time, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on earth. Here's the the linchpin, or if you will, the flywheel, right here. Christ, the flywheel. Here's the linchpin, right here. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ, Jesus through the gospel. So here's the mystery. God is going to take from this world Jews and Gentiles. And he's going to call them out as his people. And he's going to redeem them in Christ. Up until a certain time, when he's going to come back for them, and initiate eternity. So now for us, because we're mostly Gentile here, let me just say this. Um, Be praying for your Jewish brethren. And and be mindful. There is a uniqueness here. We're both grafted in to the body of Christ. But this promise was to the Jews. Okay? This is nothing that we, now we we came to new light, and now we've got to inform them about the new light. That's not it. It was the promise to the Jews, and we've been grafted in. See now that when when we're when we're sharing, when we're witnessing, and when we're thinking, uh, there's no second class citizens in the body, but just at least get it right. This is not some new insight that the Gentiles picked up on. There's not two different promises. There's one promise, and it came to who first? To the Jews first. Why? Because he loved. Why do you love him? Because he loved him. Why do you love you? Because he loved you. The two have been grafted into one body. That's the mystery. That's the fulfillment. And that's culminating at the return of Christ. That's the purpose found in Christ. Set forth in Christ. Accomplished in Christ. Suitable for the fullness of the times. So when time is complete... When eternity comes, when the end comes, all things in heaven and earth will be rightly gathered in Christ. That's why we get that powerful language in Philippians 2, 8 through 11. Being found in appearance as a, as a man, he humbled himself, speaking of Christ, uh, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, here we go, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, that every, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So there it is. That's a picture of what's going to take place when Christ returns for his church and initiates eternity and brings his church into eternity, no longer in the presence of sin. That's what's going to transpire. She's going to be made up of Jew and Gentile from among the nations, and she's going to be freed by her Savior from the very presence of sin. But in that, you say, well, yes, that's true. But here it sounds like Christ is going to gather the universe into unity. Yes, he will. Well, Now that we just all throw up our hands and celebrate universalism, not. No, not at all. Christ's coming ushers in the last days. His return brings time to a close. The plan of God was the coming of Christ, the hope of the gospel. So God will fulfill the mystery of his will, and he'll do so by uniting all things in heaven under the headship of Jesus. So here's the good news. The gospel goes forth for a period of time, and then the judgment. But all things will be culminated in the headship of Jesus Christ. So is he going to fix it? Yes, he's going to fix it. All the tumult in our world. We're we're a world raging at war as we speak. In our culture alone, there's divided political parties. There's high inflation. There's um, rampant accusation on every street corner of who has a mask or doesn't have a mask. There's sinfulness abounding all over the world. And we can't fix it. There's no politician There's no political entity. There's no preacher in and of himself that can fix it. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ that can fix it. And Christ will fix it. And one day it will come to its consummate end. Christ will fix all of it. But here's how. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. There's a narrow gate that leads to eternal life. Is there going to be universalism at the end? No there's going to be a perfect judgment by God. There's going to be those found perfectly judged by God, dead in their trespasses and sin, and rightly judged by a holy God. And there's going to be those who are found lavished in God's grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And all that is going to come to a consummate in the fulfillment of the glory of God in Christ. Christ will unify all things in heaven and earth under his lordship lord of those according to his grace to the apex of god's glory and lord of those according to his judgment the righteousness of god's wrath all brought together in christ redemption is found in christ alone so here's the picture how do we live in light of the big picture, how do we deal the daily life, in the life that we have, this ultimate truth? Well, here's the application for us. It's revealed, the truth is revealed to us in the scripture. So we need the truth of the scripture revealed to us by the spirit of God. We stay with the authority of the Bible. We cling to the authority of the Bible. and The Holy Spirit of God enables us to understand the Bible. And the eternal perspectives and how to live in light of them daily. We go forth and we carry the gospel. And we speak of the truth of why we're here. We speak of the truth of the gospel found in Christ. And we speak the truth of his coming back. To return in full glory. Redeeming those who are, who are hidden in Christ. And righteously judging those who are not. There's a broad road and there's a narrow gate. And there's an end. And then the judgment. And that's a hope of a summing up of all things in Christ who will bring all things under his lordship to the glory of God. So there's the reality of who we are. There's the reality of the riches of our redemption and the hope of our calling found in Christ, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the, um, sobering reality of our riches um, and the effect uh, of our redemption. We thank you for our forgiveness. We thank you for the wisdom and insight that you lavish upon us in Christ, knowing that it is full. The big picture and all the details are full and accessible to us in Christ, uh, according to the riches of your glory. I ask that you would sober us with such truth. And I ask that you would give us great comfort of such truth. And I ask that you would give us an urgency to walk in righteousness, knowing that um, time is short and the end is certain. And a peace knowing that it will be fulfilled fully in Christ and his lordship. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.